and welcome to Calvary's Way, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. Calvary's Way, recorded live at Calvary Chapel, is a Bible study taught by Pastor Gib Allen. Today in our continuing study of the book of Isaiah, we come to chapter 2, verse 22. Once again, as you get your Bibles, the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 22. The time of the Great Tribulation will be a time of great earthquakes. Revelation 16:18 says, And there were noises and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Verse 22, Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils. That is, don't rely upon man. He's frail. Man is as frail as his breath. When he speaks about man's breath, he's talking about the frailty of man. You're just one breath away from death, and so you're speaking of frailty. So don't trust in man. He goes on, for of what account is he? How can man help you when this whole geological convulsion takes place? The earth is shaken so terribly when everything that can be shaken is shaken. Now the Bible does say that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. What can't be shaken? It's my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, my trust in Him. Everything else will be shaken and flattened. So don't put your trust in man or your confidence in man who is as frail as you are. Put your confidence and your trust in God. Chapter 3, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Now you will find this many times in the Old Testament, but notice that the first Lord there is capital L, small O-R-D. The second one is all capitals, L-O-R-D. It signifies that there are two Hebrew words that are translated Lord. The first one, capital L, small O-R-D, translates the Hebrew word Adonai, which means master, owner, sovereign. It is a broad word that can also be applied to a human master as well as to the Lord God, the ultimate master. The second, all capital L-O-R-D, indicates that it is a translation of that Hebrew name of God. It is the Y-H-V-H tetragrammatron that is unpronounceable, but according to most scholars, the pronunciation is probably Yahweh. It is the sacred name of the triune God. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock in the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. Because of their sin, God was going to take away all those things that they trusted in, all of those things that they had become accustomed to. And here, probably a drought, taking away their water supply, which would lead to a famine, and then all of their bread would be gone the store shelves would no longer be full. That comfortable lifestyle that they were used to having and enjoying would become a thing of the past. Even water would be difficult to come by as God pours out his judgment upon them. Thirteen times in the Old Testament, we see famine spoken of, and it always refers to the judgment of God upon an area steeped in sin and in rebellion. When God wanted to wake up a people, a nation, famine was used. So is it any wonder then that many of the areas in the world today where there is famine and hunger are prevalent, 
They're the areas that have turned their back totally on God. The judgment is worse than just taking away water and food, however. God also brought judgment on Jerusalem and Judah by depriving them of godly, competent leaders on every level. Verse 2 says, The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, and the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan, and the expert enchanter. The eventual fulfillment of this prophecy, by the way, is found in 2 Kings 24, 14. Listen to what it says. Also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. It goes on in verse 4. He says, I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. The idea is that they will be ruled over by inexperienced novices, men who know nothing about real leadership. Men in positions of leadership will be like children, no self-control, totally incompetent. When the Lord gives a nation a leadership they desire and deserve, it is either a blessing or a curse. In Judah's case, in the time of Isaiah, it was a curse. In the United States, at the end of the 20th century, it was a curse. Verse 5 says, The people will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. So a condition of anarchy is going to take over. There's going to be a great deal of lawlessness. There will be a disregard for the laws and a chaos that always results in anarchy. The streets will not be safe. There will be those who will prowl the streets, making it unsafe for others. There will be such a leadership gap that they'll be looking for anyone to stand up and to lead them against this evil. Things will become so bad that in the minds of the people, the smallest achievement will qualify a man for leadership. Look at verse 6. When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your power. And yet even such a man will not want to lead. Verse 7, In that day he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. No one will want to take responsibility at this point. Things are going to be so bad that no one is going to want to take the responsibility for what is happening and for what is going to happen. For Jerusalem stumbled, verse 8, and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. Proverbs 14:34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And that is a grid that you can put over any period of history. You can see that in nations where there is righteousness, where there are moral values, where there is an honoring of God, that nation is exalted. Where a society is a godless society, you will find that the nation is weak and that it is a reproach. Sin is a reproach to any people. So the nation of Judah, which was God's people, they were to be God's witness upon this earth. They were to be a light unto the Gentiles, to show the Gentiles the benefits that would accrue to the nation that has God at the center of national life. 
A nation that will honor God and worship God will be blessed of God, and that was to be the beacon to the world of a nation honoring God. But they had turned from God. Thus they became an example of what happens to a nation that turns its back upon God and tries to rule God out of its national life. Verse 9, interesting verse. The look of their countenance witnesses against them. Sin leaves a mark on a person's face. You remember when Cain killed his brother Abel and God brought him into judgment for it? God said, I will put a mark on your face. It left its mark. Sin always leaves its mark. Now, isn't it beautiful just to look on a little baby, a little child, and see the face that is unmarked by sin? I mean, what's more beautiful than a little baby's face? What's more innocent and beautiful than looking on the face of a little child? But unfortunately, by the time they reach their teenage years, if they are living a life of sin, it begins to leave its mark. You can watch the young people as they walk by, and you can pick out those that are living a pure and a holy life, and you can pick out those that begin to have a different look, and sin begins to leave its mark on them. The older you get, the more distinguished those marks become. You know, you can look in the face of a drunkard and a derelict, and no one has to say he's a derelict. He doesn't have to hang a sign around him and say, I'm a derelict. You can see it on his face. Sin leaves its mark. You can be sure that your sin will find you out, and it will find you out in your countenance. God says that the look on their countenance witnesses against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. They used to say that they were closet homosexuals. That is, they were rightfully embarrassed and ashamed by their kind of activity, and thus they tried to hide it. Now they're seeking to display it, proudly, arrogantly declaring it, parading down the streets, hanging up signs, demonstrating, provoking, and advocating. What used to be a shame, hidden in the closet, is now done in the open. And that's what God is talking about. Rather than being embarrassed or ashamed because of their sin, they began to flaunt their sin before others. As Sodom, they didn't seek to hide it. Now, if you recall, the men of Sodom were beating on the door of Lot's house and saying, send out those two men that came into your house that we might sodomize them. The whole city, the men of the city, were gathered at Lot's door. They were brazen. They were open. They were going to forcibly sodomize the angels of God that had come to judge the city and to bring God's judgment upon it. So verse 9 says, The look on their countenance witnesses against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. You know, in a sense, God did not have to do anything unique or special to bring judgment on Jerusalem and Judah. All he had to do was leave them alone. Because evil has its own consequences. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them. So even in the midst of the judgment, God knows how to bless and how to protect his people. God's judgment is going to fall. 
the nation's going to go down. They're going to be carried away captive by their enemies. But to the righteous, just say it will be well with them. I'll take care of them. I will watch over them. I will preserve them. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. The fruit of righteousness is good, you know. It's sweet. To live a righteous life produces great fruit, pleasant fruit. It has its rewards. Living a good life has its rewards. It's the fruit of a good life. If you decide to live a righteous life, to live for Jesus Christ, to give your life to him, follow after him, the fruit of it will be good. It'll be pleasant and it'll be joyful. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. The reward of the evil that he has done will be given unto him. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, we read it earlier in our scripture reading, says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God's judgment is always fair. Make no mistake about that. For those that love God, there will be a blessed end. For those that curse God by their actions, they will reap what they have sown. Verse 12, he says, as for my people. Now that's really an interesting thing. God is still calling them his people, though they have turned so far from him. Though they are stiff-necked, hard-headed, and have turned so far from him, God still loves them. You know, his love is so good, isn't it? His love is so patient and kind and long-suffering. He doesn't give up quickly on us. God's love is so great, he is very reluctant to let them go. And even in this condition, he says, my people. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and the women rule over them. Now this was seen as a curse, not a blessing. Certainly God may raise up particular women at particular times to be leaders in different spheres. Deborah, Judges 4 and 5, and Esther are examples of this. But this is entirely different than a society where in general, Women rule over them. Such a society is cursed and not blessed. O oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. The leaders of the nation were leading people away from God and into sin. The Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. So here God's pleading with the people, even in this condition. But if they do not hearken to the pleading, then he becomes the judge. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes, for you have eaten up the vineyard. Now the vineyard is God's people. In chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. So here were the leaders, they ate up the people. In other words, they took advantage, and it says the plunder of the poor is in your houses. They used their leadership office to enrich themselves. 
They had oppressive taxes, so they took from the poor to enrich themselves. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts? The Living Translation says, How dare you grind my people into the dust like that? Moreover, the Lord says, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes. Now the women of Judah at this time were sexually seductive and promiscuous. They wanted to behold and attract what was sexually impure. Walking, it says, and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. That is, they wore anklets seeking to draw attention to their ankles and to their legs. The women of Judah were obsessed with finery, luxury, and accessories. They devoted so much of their time and their lives to their appearance and their image. Therefore, verse 17, the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. Their hair, the pride, their pride and their joy would be full of scabs. And the Lord will uncover their secret parts. Actually, what happened is that when they were taken captive, they were stripped of all of their clothing and they were led away naked. Shameful. Embarrassing. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, and the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms, and the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. Women's dress is the barometer of any civilization. When a woman's dress is modest, it tells something about the nation as a whole. Women's dress is the key to the nation's morals. Because of their role in the nurture of children, it is important that women of God live and think like women of God. When the women of a culture become degenerate, then the hope of the next generation is gone. But when the women of a culture turn to the Lord in his ways, then there is great hope for the future. In these verses, 20 articles of women's wear are mentioned by name. There certainly is nothing wrong with a woman dressing in style if the style is not immodest. God was not condemning the women of Israel for dressing in the style of their day, but he is talking about their inner life. They were wanton and haughty. And they were brazen. Real adornment, of course, is beneath the skin. It's not from the skin outward. The proud heart was the basis for the rest of the sin among these daughters of Zion. And so it shall be, verse 24. Instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. Notice that he says, instead of, instead of, instead of, instead of. The Lord will replace their finery with the marks of captivity and humiliation. They will live with the stench, the baldness, the branding, and the general deprivation of captivity. 
Boy, I wonder if we really realize how quickly God can take it all away. How much more reason to honor God with all that we have instead of indulging ourselves. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty in the war. Now, without doubt, one reason that the daughters of Zion loved all their luxury and finery was because it made them more attractive to men. So they felt that they could get men that way. But their ungodly love of luxury and finery resulted into the loss of the men. Verse 26. Her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. There was a Roman medal which showed a woman weeping, and the insignia beneath her read Judea Capta. It represented the captives of Israel. Chapter 4. And in that day, because so many men have been killed in war, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Now, in that culture, it was a reproach for a woman not to bear children. They looked upon the basic purpose of a woman as to bear children. And not to be able to bear children was considered a reproach. And so seven women would take hold of one man and say, we'll eat our own bread, we'll furnish all of our own clothing, but we want your name so we can have children. Take away our reproach. Horrible days were to come. Now, in verse 2 of chapter 4, he goes from this day of God's judgment and this day of calamity to another day, a day yet future. Suddenly, the whole scene shifts to another day, a marvelous day, a day that lies out in the future, a day of hope, a day of blessing, and a day of glory. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. The branch is a term used to describe the Messiah, speaking of Jesus. This image is repeated in Isaiah 11.1. 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It is repeated in Jeremiah 23.5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. It's repeated in Jeremiah 33:15. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. It is repeated in Zechariah 3:8. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. So verse 2 says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. A great judgment is going to be yet coming upon the nation of Israel. The Bible refers to it as the time of Jacob's trouble, this is the time just prior to the second coming of the Messiah. 
Jerusalem is again going to be overrun by their enemies. The Antichrist will establish his center of worship in Jerusalem in the rebuilt temple. He will make war against the Jews. They will have to flee to a place that God has prepared to preserve them in the wilderness of Jordan. But those who do survive, those that come through this great period of tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the fruit of the earth, then will be excellent and delightful for them that are the escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will become the religious capital of the world. Jesus will set up his headquarters in Jerusalem, there on Mount Zion, and the earth will gather together, the people of the earth will gather together in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory there will be a covering. Those were the symbols of God's presence among God's people of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt and through the wilderness. There was that pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, so that they were constantly reminded of the presence of God. When the branch of the Lord reigns, there will be the tangible presence of the Lord. Just as in the days of the Exodus, God will be as real as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Verse 6 and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from storm and rain. God will protect his people. He will shield them from all storms and adversities. What a glorious day that is going to be. In that day when the branch, Jesus Christ, the branch of the Lord, beautiful and glorious, reigns in Zion. We hope you have enjoyed today's edition of Calvary's Way with Gib Allen. Thanks again for listening, and we do hope you will join us again tomorrow as Pastor Gib teaches and we learn to walk Calvary's Way.